You must know the times. Answers to 25 essential questions on end times prophecy. A powerful new book by Dennis James Woods. Wildfires, earthquakes, hurricanes, and floods that devastates entire communities. Global pandemics that kills hundreds of thousands of people. Social injustice, unrest, and lawlessness that threatens our societies. Where is this world heading? And what does the Bible say about the end times? You Must Know the Times is an eye-opening book specifically designed to educate readers about the last days. You will learn what the Bible says about conflicts in the Middle East, the Tribulation Period, the Nation of Israel, the Mark of the Beast, the Antichrist, Armageddon, the Rapture of the Church, and many more essential topics. Get your copy today of You Must Know the Times by Dennis James Woods at Amazon, iTunes, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Praise the Lord, everyone out there in podcast land. This is Dr. Dennis James Woods, and we're here with you one more time with the Revelation Revolution. Revelation chapter 1, verse number 3 says, Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Ladies and gentlemen, you have just entered another exciting episode of the Revelation Revolution. Praise the Lord out there. God bless you and thank you so much for tuning in to another exciting chapter of the Revelation Revolution. Uh, I tell you, we just had a wonderful, wonderful time in our last episode uh, speaking on the seventh trumpet and we're going to continue uh, in that of flow and in that same vein in this particular episode as well but I just wanted to share with you a piece of my heart you know uh, many of you may not understand that Bible prophecy is something that I have been interested in since the middle 1970s when I uh, joined the Navy uh, I joined the Navy in 1974, Vietnam era, and uh, while I was aboard my first ship, the USS England, uh, guided missile cruiser 2-2, um, out at sea, I don't remember exactly how I got a hold of my first Hal Lindsey book, The Late Great Planet Earth, but I remember getting it and reading it and I couldn't put it down. 
And for some reason, there was something in the book that just really resonated with me. And I remember putting the book down and I went topside. That's uh, went outside the ship and I was on the deck. And I remember we was in the middle of the ocean. I think it could have been the Pacific Ocean or Indian Ocean, one of those. Well, Pacific Ocean. And coming back from the Philippines, headed back to San Diego, maybe. Uh, and it was a beautiful night out. And I just remember... No, it wasn't night yet. I think the sun was on its way down. It was a beautiful sunset. And I just remember going outside and praying and just asking God to direct my life. Who am I, Lord? I just felt such a connection to being connected somehow with eschatology and end-time prophecy. It was just resonated with my spirit and so from that moment on even though I wasn't in the ministry I wasn't seriously a seriously living Christian a committed Christian for many years after that but I always had this fascination with the scriptures because when I was a little boy my my mother uh, in seventh grade pulled me out of public school and put me in a parochial school. I actually went to Resurrection Lutheran in Chicago. Uh, and uh, did this 7th and 8th grade there. And that's actually where I got my first formal Bible training. Was being a confirmed Lutheran. Uh, and uh, I just there was just something about the word of God. I never will forget there was a, a, a test on religion uh, that I took. And and I didn't get the highest grades in anything, but this one test in our religion, I got a 99, a 98 or 99 was the highest grade in the class. And uh, it's, it's just that I was able to flow with anything with the scriptures and with the Bible. And so that started as a child. And so actually I took this into the Navy. So I, when I went into the Navy... Uh, I had this spiritual side to me, even though I was a typical rambunctious teenager. I had picked up playing the bass, and I was a musician, man. And I was listening to Grand Funk Railroad and Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and all that stuff, Deep Purple and all of the big rock groups back at that time. I wasn't much into R&B. I was into another, the rock side of things. And so I was uh, wild and rambunctious and high school dropout and all that. But I had this spiritual side to me. And I used to like to talk about the Bible. I used to love to talk about the scriptures. I was one of those type that used to uh, drink or smoke pot and then talk about God. And uh, so that continued until I eventually I got into the Navy. So when I put, picked up the Howell Lindsay book, I kind of already had a foundation. God was already working with me. I was a fish with a hook caught I was caught and God was reeling me in and so I've been studying eschatology since the mid 70s so that means I had 40 plus years 
that God has been working with me and through me with understanding the scriptures. Now, my first real study Bibles were Schofield reference Bibles. Anybody that knows anything about Schofield, he uh, is a dispensationalist, uh, pre-tribulationist, who was influenced by Darby and was contemporaries to uh, Louis uh, Sperry Schaefer, uh, the one who uh, started uh, the Dallas Theological Seminary. Well, it was renamed Dallas Theological Seminary, but it was started by Louis Sperry Schaefer, was the first president and founder of that university. And so the the great minds that took over from Lewis Sperry Schaefer at Dallas Theological Seminary. He was the first chancellor. The second one was Dr. John Walvoord. And uh, Walvoord's influence in uh, teaching and propagating the, the pre-tribulationism along with many others he wasn't the only one, but these are some of the people at the top. And so people that, are, that study and are scholarly and know anything about dispensationalism, once you get uh, to places like Dallas Theological Seminary, Walvoord's name is going to come up because he was one of the top apologists for that position for decades and was very, very well known, very, very well respected. I had the opportunity in the early 90s after God had been dealing with me many years after my own book Unlocking the Door to Key to Biblical Prophecy was published by Huntington House Publishers in 1995 while I was on staff at the Milwaukee Rescue Mission and by the way people laughed at me uh, because I was uh, basically homeless when I wrote my book I was on uh, living at a rescue mission but the Milwaukee Rescue Mission was a very fine well-organized rescue mission had been over a hundred years old at that point and uh, uh, it, it had a great program they ended up hiring me uh, they saw the gifts and the talents that God had in me but anyway while I was on staff there I actually got my first book published and uh, my publisher Huntington House they flew me around I, I did uh, 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 interviews on USA Radio Network I was on WMBI uh, I did radio and TV programs all over the country I had a publicist and man I did Seattle LA Chicago and uh, so unlocking the door to keep a biblical prophecy I, I did pretty well with that book and this is where I put forth the pre-wrath rapture fact uh, those of you that have been studying along with me understand and, th and this is the reason why my program is called Revelation Revolution I do not approach the book of the Revelation as a book that is primarily informational for Christians but doesn't apply to Christians. That is not the approach I take. The approach I take is is that God gave us the book for a reason. And if you just read the book 
and let the book minister. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is the primary reason of why when I open this program, this verse is very, very important. Blessed is he, Revelation 1 and 3. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the only book in the Bible where there is a stated blessing for reading, keeping the things in this book. It is that important. One of the reasons why many do not read the book of Revelation is because it's hard to understand. I would consider eschatology to kind of be like the calculus <laughs> of theological subjects. It is difficult. There's a lot of symbols. And as apocalyptic literature has a character of its own full of symbolism and metaphors and all kinds of, uh, you know, allegorical betrayals of how things play out. Israel can be seen as a woman with the crown with 12 stars on her head being chased by a great red dragon that has seven heads and ten horns and and the beast that rises up out of the sea that has seven heads, ten horns it's like a leopard, a bear, and a lion and you got all of this imagery you got the great harlot or the great whore of Babylon with a cup in her hand full of blasphemies, the blood of the saints. You know, just all of these images with angels pouring out bowls of wrath and angels blowing trumpets and the Lord opening up a book, a sealed book that has seven seals and the revelation of the word of God coming to life as these things are opened. And so there is an understanding of why people don't really get into the book of Revelation because you have to be able to understand it and to crack the codes and understand what is being said. And so not everybody has a gift that can just go in and just start putting things together piecing it together here a little precept upon precept line upon line here a little there a little the word of God is by itself in many aspects mysterious you know I just want to take a, a brief before we get into our lesson and get into this. I want to show you something. If you go to the second psalm. Glory to God. Psalm 2 and 7. 
reads this way. And I'm reading from the King James Version. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. In prophecy, there is a rule of interpretation called the law of double reference. The law of double reference. Basically, that means prophecy can have a local or a near meaning. In other words, whatever the David was saying here. But it can also simultaneously have a greater meaning or a future meaning desiring to be, uh, that requires fulfillment at a future time. So, when we look at Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, I would declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. That's an interesting passage. This psalm is messianic. Some would say, well, if I was to take an educated guess, this is in reference to the Lord, glory to God, saying to the, the, the Father, the, the, uh, God the Father, saying to God the Son, glory to God, today I have birthed you, begotten here, and the Hebrew is Yalad, it means to beget, to bear, to born, to bring forth, to bear, travail, like a midwife, child, deliver, born. So this is dealing with, glory to God, the birth. That's what it appears to be here. And then it says the Lord, here Lord is um, all caps, lowercase caps. And it says... So whenever you see that, that's Jehovah, Jehovah, okay? The Lord, Jehovah, has said unto me, who is the me here? Must be the God the Son, right? Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So to me that sounds, and then, he, then in verse 8 he says, Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thy inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. For thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, and thou shalt dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. So it's interesting. What does that mean, right? Now, the interesting thing about this passage is it definitely is a law of double reference. Glory to God. And let's look at 
this double reference. Let's go to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. And we are going to look at a sermon that Peter, uh, excuse me, Paul's sermon in Antioch, while he was at Antioch. And this part of the sermon, beginning at verse 26, this is what Paul says. Brothers, sons of Abraham's race. Glory to God, I'm reading from the Holman Bible, but let me, let me switch back to the uh, KJV. He says, men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you that fear of God, to you is the word of salvation sent. For they that dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which were which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And this is Paul with an indictment to the Jews. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made to the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same to us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Stop right there. This is a Pauline sermon preached at Antioch. Paul making his case before the Jews, giving them a historic perspective of how it was them that crucified him when there was no fault in him, but it was a promise that was being fulfilled, a glory to God and the and then so Paul says the fulfillment was already stated in the scripture and then therefore Paul goes back and references the second psalm psalm which we know is psalm 2 the second psalm the seventh verse thou art my son this day have I begotten thee Paul says that scripture is in reference to the resurrection of Jesus Christ now glory to God there's no way you could look at the second psalm and get that meaning out of it. 
The point I'm making to you, ladies and gentlemen, is the scriptures are quick and powerful and they are alive. This is the exhaled word of God. It is God breathed. Glory to God. It's not just words on a page. Glory to God. So scriptures that seem no way connected to the resurrection of Christ. And if anything, somebody would have thought glory to God is what he's actually talking about. If anything, his natural birth. But he wasn't talking about his natural birth. He was talking about his spiritual birth. The Bible, it is said of Jesus that he is first born from the dead. Here in the second Psalm is a testimony of that. But the point I'm making to you is this. How do you get that interpretation out of the second Psalm? There isn't a school you could have gone to to get that. There isn't a commentary you could have read to get that. There isn't a scholar who knew that. This is God breathed into Paul's spirit and illuminated by the Holy Spirit. Certainly you would have not have gotten that meaning from any Jewish scholar like Gamaliel because they were not born again. They did not see Christ as the Messiah. And certainly the second Psalm had nothing to do with somebody raising from the dead. There's no way Gamaliel or any of those guys would have gotten that interpretation out of it. It wouldn't have been in any of their teachings. It would not have been in any of their rabbinical schools or, or anything that, that they came through the, uh, the pharisaical rites and all of the things that the Pharisees and the education and all the stuff they had to go through. The college and the seminaries of their days, their commentaries of their days and all of the, uh, all of the teachings that they would have gotten in their synagogues and all of that nothing would have pointed to the power that is in the second psalm that testified you are my son this day I have begotten thee and then relate that to the resurrection of Jesus Christ fulfilling what what it says in revelation that he is first born from the dead. Now I know firstborn is is also in Jewish idiom for uh, uh, stating supremacy. I understand that. I understand the whole idea of uh, 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 supremacy and being preeminent. I understand that. But Christ was the firstborn from the dead. He wasn't the first resurrected to dead. He was the first born from the dead in the fact that he was raised in a glorified body not to die again. And this is why the Bible says, if we are buried with him in baptism, we shall also walk in the newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, so shall we be raised with him in the, in the likeness of his resurrection. And his resurrection was to be born from the dead. I know that's heavyweight, but it's true. 
Glory to God. I bring up all of that to make a point. The scriptures are not just simply written. So some scholar with a PhD behind his name can go in and approach the scriptures like a scientist would with a scientific method to go in and postulate a theory, test it, and, 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 and document the results, predict the results. That's the scientific method. Glory to God. And so the science of biblical interpretation called hermeneutics, glory to God, is a science because there's a method and rules to it, right? And so the people that write our commentaries, the people that write our books, a lot of these people, they got the PhDs behind their name, but they don't have a PhD power of the Holy Ghost deliverance. A lot of these people do not believe in the power of the Spirit. Many of these people that write these books, glory to God, they don't believe in the power of the Spirit. A lot of these professors and a lot of these seminary people, glory to God, some of these folks don't even believe in the resurrection of the dead. If you take, go in and all you have to do is go to anybody's seminary and take textual criticism. And see what people tell you about the Bible. The Bible that we read. Glory to God. Some of this stuff, if you, 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 you take it, you, it. See, this is why you have to have faith even when you go to a seminary. Because you'll come out not even believe in your Bible. Glory to God. And so, as we look for answers through the scriptures... Some men prefer, glory to God, their education. Some men prefer their knowledge. Some men prefer the fact that they got a, a, a master's or a doctorate behind their name and their power and authority is laid out in the fact that they are they have cerebral knowledge and understanding of great theological subjects, but they can still be devoid of the spirit of God that is necessary for the spirit to illuminate the scriptures. And so that men will not be tossed by traditions of men and doctrines of men that make the scriptures none effect. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, glory to God. Let me just read a piece of what Paul says here, beginning at verse number 6. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that came to not. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, that I have not seen, nor the ear heard, 
neither have it entered into the hearts of men the things which God had prepared for them that love him. So let me just stop right there. There is a preparation. There is things that God can give to people that love him that go beyond the cerebral virtue of the cerebral knowledge and the education and the wisdoms of men that 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 revel in their degrees and their doctrines. God saying I can come and I can just lay something out for you. That they're not, that they're not, they don't know in the schools. Glory to God. Men love their attainments in their schools. Verse number nine, as it is written, the eye have not seen, nor the ear heard, neither have it entered into the hearts of men the things which God had prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed it to them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit search of all things, yea, the deep things of God. You can't get that on a chalkboard. You can't get that from a dictionary. You can't get that from a commentary. You can't get that from an encyclopedia. There are certain things that only God can give to a man. Reading the scriptures and God making them come alive. But God, verse 10, have revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. The spirit does that. Not your professor. Not your original languages in Hebrew and Greek. The spirit does that. Verse 11. For what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of a man which is in him? In other words, how can the things that a man knows is because the spirit of a man is within him. So the things that are pertaining to human beings and being a man and all of the things pertaining to a man, that's because the spirit of man in us allows us to tap into those things that we can be aware and walk as men. That's why a dog can't understand you and you can't understand a dog. Glory to God, because a dog has a dog spirit, a man has a man spirit. If you had a dog spirit, you'd know how a dog think glory to God I was I was out uh, uh, in the back of my house I've got a a, a, a a small body of water and all the geese come and I hear them clickling and making keeping up all that noise glory to God but they're talking to each other they're not just making noise these birds are communicating we don't understand it doesn't make any sense to us don't we talk to each other those animals know how to communicate to one another Glory to God makes no sense to us. Why? Because I don't have a goose spirit and a goose doesn't have a man spirit. This is what the scriptures are saying. For what man knoweth the things of a man, say the spirit of a man which is in him, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. So you can actually read a Bible, ladies and gentlemen, and get absolutely nothing from it unless the spirit of God reveals it why because the words Jesus said the words that I speak to you they are spirit and they are life 
God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Therefore, the things of God no man can know except God reveal that to him. Glory to God. This is why the gift of the Holy Spirit was so important. Verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things we also speak not in the words which men's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. Let me read that again, ladies and gentlemen. Which things we also speak, not in the words which men's wisdom teaches. In other words, Paul is saying, what I'm giving you here, Gamaliel did not teach me. Gamaliel didn't know this stuff. I didn't get this stuff from, from uh, some school with my degree. I can't rest my faith on what men teach. Glory to God. But it's the next verse. Verse 14. But the natural man received not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them. The word can there means he doesn't have the ability to know them. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned but he that is spiritual judge of all things yet he himself is judge of no man for who who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him but we have the mind of Christ listen to that ladies and gentlemen One of the most prevailing doctrines in the study of end times is pre-tribulationism. It is a doctrine that is accepted because, number one, some theologians constructed pre-tribulationism Given credit to Darby back in 1830s, right around there. He was the one who came up with the idea of the two programs, the church and Israel being separate. The necessity of the church being removed before God can go back to Israel. The Holy Spirit being the restrainer that has to be revealed, moved out of the way uh, uh, so the Antichrist could be revealed. All of this stuff came from, which became known later as pre-tribulationism, but all of these things are a construct, a theological construct that basically compartmentalizes the book of Revelation in such a way to where when you approach revelation you approach it with this mindset 
that after you pass chapter 3 where the seven churches are addressed the word church is no longer found therefore that means the church is gone and some pre-tribulationists as evidence in the uh, Schofield Reference Bible and, and other sources that Revelation 4.1 when the God said was talking to John and said come up hither that seems to fulfill the promise of the rapture of the church at the end of the church age and so the pre-tribulationist sees the church gone after the close of chapter 3 chapter 4.1 Come up hither, the church is gone. Word church is not mentioned anymore. And so the way they construct that, everything when you see the word saint, when you see the word people of God, when you see the, those that serve the Lord, blah, 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 none of that to them is a Christian because they teach that the church is gone already. And one of the scriptures that they use to back that up, ladies and gentlemen, is Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians, Paul says two things must happen before the day of the Lord can come. Number one, there must be an apostasia, a great falling away. Okay. Some even interpret the apostasia there, the falling away, as a catching away, uh, but not many pre-tribulationists hold that that view. But that is a view that is out there. And uh, after the falling away, the man of sin be revealed. Okay. So the day of the Lord can't come before the the falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed. Okay. All right. Something is holding back, however, the man of sin being revealed. There is a restrainer, he that now letteth or withholdeth, uh, in Second Thessalonians 6 and 7, that talks about a restraining force, a kecho, is the, is the Greek word for that. The restrainer, the restrainer, glory to God. And so they postulate, they surmise, that since it is called a what, neuter, and then a he, they say, well, that has to be the Holy Spirit. Paul didn't say it was the Holy Spirit. Paul doesn't say that. That's not explicit in the scriptures. And so what happens is, is they go back and they say, well, uh, the Holy Spirit is referred to in a masculine pronoun. He, him, he is, that type of thing. They go to a few scriptures, mainly Genesis 6-3, Isaiah 59, and 59 and 6, uh, right around in there, B. Uh, and, and they say, uh, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord should lift up a standard. Of course, that 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 interpretation only works in the King James Version of the Bible because no other version uh, uh, interprets lift up a standard like they would like to use it to use, say, that's the restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit. In other words, they don't have any scriptures to back that up. They have some scriptures they use to make the point, but they don't they don't back it up. They don't understand that it's three aspects of the Antichrist. You have the kingdom. The Ten Nation Confederacy. You had the monarch, the one that's going to sit on the throne of God and call himself God's great blasphemies. And you have Revelation 17, 7 and 8 that talks about the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit. It is that third aspect that you will not find in pre-tree of doctrine. They do not use that. The important part about that, ladies and gentlemen, is this. If you do not 
properly know what's restraining the revealing of the Antichrist, your whole theory is flawed. By you saying it's the Holy Spirit without any direct scriptures to back that up. They, and they don't have any. Without that, that is a theological conclusion. It is a, it is a, it is a postulation. It is a, 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 an educated guess. But they didn't have to use any educated guesses, ladies and gentlemen. All they had to do was go to Revelation 17, 8 and see that the beast ascends out of the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit, Revelation 20, 1 through 3 and verse 6, is a prison for demonic spirits. It is very, very. Uh, uh, Jude talks about it. Second Peter talks about how the how the uh, angels, fallen angels that kept not their first estate, were chained in darkness until the day of day of judgment. Jude talks about that. Also, even in the Gospels, Luke chapter eight, uh, uh, verse thirty-one, talks about the demons begging Jesus not to send them out into the abyss or the bottomless pit because the demons knew it wasn't time for them to go so they say can we go into the swine instead of you telling us to go have uh, ordering us to go to the bottomless pit and so the bottomless pit is a place of demonic pr prison it is the place uh during the millennium where satan is going to be locked up for th 1000 years and it is an angel that comes down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit a chain in his hand and a seal one angel not an army of angels not a legion of angels not 10 angels not a trinity of angels one unnamed angel grabs Satan and throws him in a bottomless pit, puts a seal on him, shuts him up and all of that, and he does it by himself. There's an angel, ladies and gentlemen, that, that superintends, let's say, over the bottomless pit so far as what demons go in and out of it. Now, Revelation 9 talks about a Apollyon and a Badon being the demon that's the demon in the bottomless pit who is over it, in, inside of it. But but he doesn't have access. He doesn't have free access. There's also a godly angel who who has the key and opens and unlocks the door to that. But however does it, whether God assigns that to 10, 21, we, we, we human beings, we're not privy to all of that. All we know is what the scriptures tell us. Without understanding what is restraining the Antichrist, that informs how you interpret the book of Revelation. Because if you teach that it is the Holy Spirit that is what's restraining the Antichrist, and the Holy Spirit must be removed before he can be revealed. That gives credence to what the pre-trib said. See there, the church has to be gone before Antichrist is revealed. Now, when is Antichrist revealed? According to them, it's at the beginning of Daniel's 70th week, where the peace covenant is signed uh, right around there. Okay, so that's how they do that. So when they come to the book of Revelation, that informs how they interpret Revelation. They're assuming the Holy Spirit is gone. They're assuming that the church has to be gone. So therefore, when they get to Revelation chapter 2 and 3, where it talks about the letters to the seven churches, then, glory to God, they say, see there, this is the age of the church. It is It is. 
encapsulated in these two chapters, seven church eras per se, and uh, the one that was promised not to go through the day of trial that comes to uh, try the whole world with the Church of Philadelphia, and they said because of that, this is the promise that was made to the Church of Philadelphia, and they said the Church of Philadelphia, even though it was, that was an ancient church back during John's time, even though it, it, it was a local church back then, that God addressed that particular congregation, pre-trib, spiritualizes the mean of that, and says, says, see, that's the modern day church promise that they won't go through the day of trial. And the day of trial, they say, is all of the judgments that come after uh, chapter 5, basically. Uh, so, so uh, and all the way up through 19. So, that's how they approach the book of Revelation. Now, because Revelation is approached that way, this is why a lot of emphasis is not placed on understanding revelation and all that because under that construct the revelation doesn't really apply apply to Christians it's, it's, it's another group of just left behind folks the church is gone yippee yahoo we get to go before all of the martyrdom and all the persecution happens and we're just like whoo thank you God that we miss all of that Historically, that has never been the case. We had 300 years of severe persecution of the church. Just, just as much Christian as we are today, we're being thrown to lions for entertainment while, while Romans ate popcorn. This is the history of the church. But here in America, we got it good. We have religious freedom. We got a church on every corner. We have all these denominations. We have stuff to choose from. We got just so a plethora of Christianity surrounding us. We got all of our artifacts. We got our pictures. We got this. We got that. And we just got it good over here. So the message of revelation does not come through. The message of revelation does not come through. It is seen as a message that we don't really need to know because it doesn't apply to us. So therefore, the book that the Lord put in the Bible that gives a promise, that gives a blessing for anybody that even reads the book. Glory to God. And now I understand why he put it there because he knew there would be so much opposition to people understanding and reading the book that he put a blessing on it because he knew ahead of time that people were not going to pay attention to it because there would be so much opposition by carnal Christians who 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 cannot fathom or wrap their heads around a society in the world that hates Christians so bad to where people are dying for their faith, even though this happens in other parts of the world every day. We just don't see it in America. And so, this, ladies and gentlemen, is my purpose. It's my calling. It is why God put me on the planet. It's why he drew me in as a little boy. But he didn't take me the route that many have gone. No, God ministered to me over time. And he started putting the scriptures together for me. Not Dr. Walford, not Dr. Pentecost, not Dr. Ryrie, 
not Dr. Schaefer, not Dr. Darby, not all of these people. They didn't put it together for me. God started to show me over time. This is why those of you that are listening, I'm going to task you with something because it is important. I need your help. I need your help. The help I need from you, I'm not asking for your money. I mean, if you just want to donate to the cause, that's fine. You can email me, PhD Ministries 400 at att.net. You can call my office number 708 272 4444. You can do that. What I need you to do is to tell as many people as you can about this podcast and I need you to share it share it tell them to start from the beginning and come all the way up to where we are now I need you to share it that's all I need people to wake up to see what is about to come on this world. I need people to wake up because millions of Christians are going to get caught flat-footed. Being promised by a doctrine that told them they won't be here, that revelation doesn't apply, that tells them we'll be gone before all this stuff happens when it was our God, our Savior, our Lord that put the book in the Bible in the first place for us to have. Not for some theologian with a THD or a DD behind his name to tell us, oh, this doesn't apply to us. I don't know what kind of spirit these guys had. Paul talked about there there are things that some things only God can reveal to you. I don't care how many times you read the Bible. I don't care how many times you read Revelation. I don't care how many times you do anything. Glory to God. Unless God gives illumination to the scripture, you can't even know the things that I'm teaching. God had to show me these things over the years. I didn't pick this up in nobody's school. What I'm teaching, the pre-wrath rapture fact, is not something that I learned from anybody else. Even though there is a pre-wrath doctrine out there. I think Dr. Marvin Rosenthal and some others have, have basically, it's a new, one of the newer eschatological positions, but that's not the one I'm teaching. The one I'm teaching is pre-wrath because 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 9 says we're not appointed to wrath. That's all I mean. It's what the Bible says. The question is, when does the wrath start 
does the Holy Spirit actually get taken away? Are the saints that the Bible talks about in Revelation, are those really Christians or not? I know Tim LaHaye and all of them say they're the left behind bunch. That's what they say. But the reason why they say that, ladies and gentlemen, is because they're teaching pre-trib. That the rapture has already happened. And so those saints that we see in Revelation 13, glory to God, are tribulation saints that didn't make the cut for the rapture, so they got to go through stuff. That's how that theory reads. But that's not what the Bible teaches. It's not. This is why there needs to be a revelation. A revolution. I didn't mean to take up the entire hour. But this is a testimony that is necessary. I'm going to pick up with the seventh trumpet. I'm going to give you a little bit now. Those of you that were with us in our last podcast, you heard what the 11th chapter of Revelation verses 15 through 18 said. As a matter of fact, let's go there now. And the seventh angel sounded, Revelation eleven fifteen. And there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. It is interesting that when you go to St. John chapter 18 verse 33 this is what it says Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall and called Jesus and they said unto him Are thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? <laughs> thou own nation, and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered into the delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence or here. Let 
Listen to that, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus said to Pilate, the governor of Judea, kind of like a Roman outpost that most people didn't want to be over. He said to him, my kingdom is not from here. And if it were, my servants wouldn't be fight would be fighting. He said, but now it's not. This is my first advent. I came as a suffering servant. I came as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. My fight right now, glory to God, is to go to the cross and be sacrificed, be beaten, scourged, mocked. It is mine that I bear the sin of the world and the curse of the law. That I hang on a tree as it saith in the law. Cursed is any man that hangeth on a tree. Mm. But Jesus said right now my kingdom is not from here. If it were, the fight would be on. So when Christ comes back the second time, he's not the lamb, but the lion of the prince of Judah. Uh oh. When he comes back, no more lowly, meek Jesus. Mm -mm. He's coming back to rule the nations with a rod of iron and to take back authority of this world, whom the prince of this world which is Satan who is the prince and the power of the air who is the God of this present age when he cracks the sky and Jesus comes back and this is why the second psalm says why do the heathen rage why are the nations gathered together it says God from heaven shall laugh at them <laughs> and so in Revelation chapter 11 when that seventh trumpet blows the seventh angel sounded and there were great voices in heaven 
saying the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever now putting a footnote there the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof that is true so far as planet earth so far as Firm, terra firma yes God is always the, the gold and, and the hills is his and the cattle on a thousand hills is his but the world system the cosmos glory to God the system of the world the world evil system that is controlled by Satan and this ladies and gentlemen is why Satan offered Jesus the, all the kingdoms of the world and the glory thereof while he was in the desert being tempted in Luke chapter 4 Satan offered him the kingdoms of this world and obviously Jesus said get behind me Satan but Satan has reserved the rule the final world ruler over that wicked system he has reserved it for the Antichrist and so anti-Christos, meaning instead of Christ or an opponent of Christ. Antichrist comes as a false Messiah. But he will sit on the throne of the kingdoms of this world under the satanic world system. But Christ is about to take it back or take it from glory to God the rule of the enemy and so this is why it says when the seventh angel blows and this is why the great, great voices glory to God in heaven said that and then glory to God verse 16 it says in the four and the twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell on their faces and worshiped God saying we give thanks O Lord God almighty which art which was and art to come because thou hast taken to thee that great power and has reigned Verse 18. And the nations were angry. And thy wrath is come. And the time of the dead that they should be judged. And that thou should give reward and to thy servants the prophets and to the saints and to them that fear thy name small and great and should destroy them that destroy the earth so when the seventh trumpet blows ladies and gentlemen the kingdom switch and the dynamics change completely now the stage for the wrath of God has been set and it is opened but it couldn't be done until the kingdoms of this world until Christ took back the kingdoms of this world to now absorb that into the kingdoms 
love is Christ. In other words, it is now superseded. And now the fight can get on. To fully understand the magnitude of the seventh trumpet, instead of going forward, we must go back. We must go back to chapter number 10. Chapter number 10. And hear the word of the Lord. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face were as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea, and his left foot upon the earth. And he cried with a loud voice when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders ordered, uttered their voices, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Sill up! those things which the seven thunders have uttered and write them not. Let me just stop right there for a minute. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't care what doctrine it is, what theology it is, what commentary it is, what school it is, it makes no difference. God is letting us know right here that he didn't tell everything. This is important. See, not only do you have the seven churches, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls, but you also had the seven thunders. Whatever they said, John wasn't about to miss it. And if I may be a little facetious, it was juicy. And John wanted to write it. He said, man, I'm up here in Revelation. I can't miss this. This is good here. He was about to write it down, but the voice came from heaven and said, do not write that. He was forbidden to even write it down. So John heard something in heaven that was noteworthy enough for him to write it down, but he was forbidden to write it down because God 
God did not want it revealed. Now, what God could have done is just said, don't mention it. Don't even mention the seven thunders. And then the people would know that then the people wouldn't even know that it was something I left out. But no, God wanted us to know. He left something out. So that means nobody's theory about these events is complete because God is letting us know that he left a portion out and kept it secret. So I don't care what school you went to. I don't care what kind of degree you got. I don't care about none of that. This is letting us know. Don't no man know this. So this is why we need to all be humble when we approach this subject because our father let us know I didn't tell you everything and I intentionally left something out when I forbid it John to write it. Because I know most of these pre-trib people think they know just as much as God. They write their commentaries like they know everything. I don't tell you right now. I don't know everything. I don't have every answer for the book of Revelation. I'm not writing a commentary on the book of Revelation. That's not my purpose. My purpose is to, my purpose is to encourage people to read the book, to understand the book. To encourage people to not fear the book. But learn what it says. Get the blessing that is promised for even reading it. My job is to wake people up and see the role that Christians play in the midst of it. That no matter how bad things get, we win in the end because we see what's going to happen to the Antichrist. We see what's going to happen to Satan. They are thrown in the lake of fire. And even those who died during those times, the Holy Spirit himself in Revelation 14 says, Blessed are the dead that die in the Lord from henceforth. And they will rest from their labors and their works do follow them. And the Holy Spirit says, yes, they will rest from their labors. The Holy Spirit that was supposed to be gone already has guaranteed that the people that live during that time will be blessed because they die in the Lord. That's Pauline there in Christ. Don't let no man tell you that the Holy Spirit is gone. No man instructs God. No man calls where the Spirit goes or where it goes or where it see. The Jesus said, this is how the Spirit is. It's like the wind that blows and no man knows where it goes or comes. You done got some theologians talking about the Holy Spirit is gone. The Bible never said that. And you got people thinking that they shouldn't be reading the book of Revelation when they should be reading because it might be your children. It could be our generation. It could be the next generation. It is our job to tell people the truth. 
and not to sit there and give them some candy doctrine that says we miss everything and ignore what's written therein where God has sent John into the future to give us this stuff so we can read it like it's history and it hasn't even happened yet. We are so blessed that we have a God that loves the body of Christ that much where he tells them what's going to happen so when those days do happen they don't fail that their faith fail not so that they can be like Polycarp who says 86 years I've been living how could I deny him Jesus Christ is Lord and they set him on fire Hebrews 11 talks about the saints oh let me go to it oh cause y'all done got me fired up now oh glory to God I'm not trying to get no following I'm not asking for your money I'm just trying to tell you what thus saith the Lord Hebrews 11 35 listen to this women receive their dead raised to life again and others were tortured Listen to this. Not accepting deliverance that they may obtain a better resurrection. Now, let me just, I just want to get this in a few other versions. Let's just look at that in the NIV. Listen to this. It says, women receive back their dead, raised to life again. Others, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they may gain a even better resurrection. Listen to what it said about them saints back then. Listen to what it said about them saints that was torn to pieces by lions, that were hacked by, by gladiators, that were set on fire in the circus maximus, that were pulled in part, that were sawn in half and all of these things. They said they refused to be released so that they may obtain a better resurrection. The revelation talks about they love their lives and they love not their lives until the death. <laughs> this is why the Bible says when the Son of Man returns shall he find faith on the earth. This is faith, ladies and gentlemen. Glory to God. New Living Translation. Women received their loved ones back again from death, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Listen to that. American Standard Version. Women received their dead back by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they may obtain a better resurrection. Glory to God. Listen to the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Women received their dead. They were raised to life again. Some men tortured, not accepting release, so they may obtain a better resurrection. Look at how these people were. They wasn't trying to cop no plea. They wasn't trying to cop out on God. They were saying, if you want to cut my head off, then cut it off. If you want to cut me in half, cut me in half. If you want to run me through with a sword, run me through with a sword. If you want to set me on fire and set me on fire no I'm not taking deliverance no I'm not going back that's the mindset that these Christians had ladies and gentlemen they didn't have no mamby pamby 
Christianity like we got today in America when nobody's even probably going through anything and that's going to change here as well. Just keep on living, you'll see it. Women receive their dead raised alive again and others were tortured not accepting deliverance that they may obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover, the bonds of imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder or sawn in half. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute, afflicted, and tormented for their faith of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in the deserts and in the mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. What does Paul say in Romans? Let's go to Romans. Glory to God. Chapter number 8. Glory to God. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? First thing he mentioned. Shall tribulation? Wait a minute. Pre-trib people. You know pre-trib it stands for pre-tribulation. He's saying it right here. What shall separate you from Christ? Shall the tribulation do it? No. They say, well, that's not that's not tribulation in a technical sense. That's tribulation in a general sense. Listen, it doesn't make a difference with China since you make it. It's saying tribulation can't do it. This is why you have people, obviously, who are victorious over the mark of the beast because tribulation can't do it. Tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword listen to verse 36 as it is written for thy sake are we killed all the day long we are counted as sheep for the slaughter listen to what it says ladies and gentlemen for God's sake we are killed all the day long. For his sake. Not ours. His sake. Was not Jesus sacrificed? Was not Jesus crucified? Was not Jesus lied on and mocked and beat bloody beyond recognition? Who 
do we think we are? Did not God say, if any man follow me and take up not his cross, he is not worthy of me. Let me find that real quick. Matthew ten thirty eight. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. I'm not asking you to go out and step in front of a BART train, a Muni bus. For those of you that live in the Bay Area, I used to live out there for real though. I'm not asking you to jump off a skyscraper or the Golden Gate Bridge or the Brooklyn Bridge or Trump Tower in Chicago. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm not asking you to take up some self-fulfilling martyr's cause because you're wasting your time ain't going, that ain't going to get you nothing it comes time for you to be persecuted you will but you know what God has said he'll give you boldness in that hour he'll give you the gift of faith he'll give, you know that supernatural faith that's one of the nine spiritual gifts faith God can just give you a zap of faith that's what he did with uh, uh, I can't think of his name Stephen was stoned Stephen preached on the anointing of the Holy Spirit under the power and unction of the Holy Ghost he read the Jews their history and said for all these centuries you have always rejected God and you're still doing it to this day well, he took up stones and stoned that man to death. You know what Stephen did? He kneeled and looked up, saw Jesus standing. Now, why didn't Jesus just send down a legion of angels and stop that man from getting hurt? Why didn't he just spare his life? Why he let him die like that? You know, getting hit in the head with rocks, you know, that hurt. I ain't talking about these little pebbles that, just you, that you got in your garden. I ain't talking about them. I'm talking about stones. You know, them ones, is them big old handful piece of stones. You get hit one time, but one the, once in the, in the right spot, you'd be dead. Sometimes when people got stoned, it was a pile of rocks. And they kept hitting you in your head and your body till your brains was gushed out. 
very brutal to kill someone like that. Why didn't Jesus, if Jesus stood up, why didn't Jesus just stand up and come down here and do something and stop it? Why he didn't do that? You know why? Because Stephen was a sacrifice. For thy sake, Paul says, we are killed all the day long. Glory, glory to God. So as we go back to Revelation 10. Oh glory. Seal up those things. That the seven thunders uttered. Write them not. It's just certain things. That God kept. Secret. We can't know them. If you read some of these people's commentary, they actually make you laugh. They'll sit up there and say, well, whatever was said, it wasn't needed. And uh, the reason why they were told not to write down what the seventh thunder said because they was, the, the John needed to get on with the revelation. You, it's, listen, it's all kind of silly stuff. Glory to God. You know, I have several sets of commentaries. And I, you know what? I'm glad a lot of you don't have what I have because you'd be crazy trying to read all this stuff. And everybody's commentary you read, everybody got a different opinion. I mean, it's really funny to see some of these. And, you, and, and then the first thing you're asking, what kind of spirit is this guy operating in who would say something silly like that? You have men actually thinking they have enough smarts to, to tell you the reason why and that the content of what was said must not have been relevant. It is so stupid. You know, it's like people get the more education they get, the dumber they get. John didn't think so. John said, ooh, this is juicy. I'm going to write this down. God said, no, you don't. I want to leave that out, but I want to let the world know. I want to let the theologians know. I want the Christians to know. I want believers to know. I want people that read the book of Revelation to know that I left a piece of this out, and I did it intentionally, and I'm communicating to you that I left it out. So why are you getting all your little theories and you got it down? A, B, C, D, E, F, G. It's going to go like this. It's going to be over here. It's going to be over there. Look, we know the what of prophecy, but we have no idea how God is going to fulfill something. We can't figure that out. <laughs> we can't figure that out. God can tell you, I'm going to do this tomorrow. And you have no idea how you're going to do it or when he's going to do it. We like to think we know what God is going to do. No, we don't. If he said something, then we can know. But other than that, we don't know nothing. And even if he tell you what's going to happen tomorrow, if he tell you, you still don't know how he's going to bring it to pass. Because God has everything in the created material universe and in the spiritual and material realms. He has everything at his disposal to bring his word to pass. And you would never would figure that out. God could just make the DNA in your body jump up and turn upside down and flip on something that the doctors don't even know about. And you end up in a hospital or something. Yeah, listen, it is just so many things. I mean, God knows you at a molecular level. 
Come on now. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. How are you going to figure out what God is going to do? God could tell you, I'm going to do this, and you still wouldn't know how you're going to do it. You'd have to wait to see. Glory to God. All right, I'm almost done. Verse number four. Number two. And when he had in his hand, talking about the angel, a little book open. He set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. And he cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, the seven thunders uttered. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voice, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, to me seal up those things with the seven thunders uttered and write them not and the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and the things therein the earth and all the things therein the sea and all the things therein that there should be time no longer but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he declared unto his servants the prophets. Now, when we studied last lesson, we approached the seventh trumpet from Revelation 11. I did that intentionally. When we get back, but when you take a step back to Revelation 10, you get a little bit more information about the seventh trumpet. Verse number seven again. But in the days of the voice of the seven angels, number one, ladies and gentlemen, these trumpets are not some quick blow things. These trumpets sound and it's this time period that is involved. The seventh trumpet covers a lot of territory. It isn't just like a Miles Davis, Kenny G trumpet bow, bam, and that's just it. No. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished. Now, I want you to think about this. There is a mystery of God that is completed at the blowing of the seventh trumpet. That's clue number one. It's a mystery, but it's a mystery that is completed at the blowing of the seventh trumpet. And then the right before that, it said there will be time no longer. In other words, there will be no longer delay 
That's in verse number six. No further delay. And whatever program God is talking about, it wraps up at the seventh trumpet. But the next clue is it was something that God declared to the prophets. And if God declared it to the prophets, that means it's somewhere in the scriptures of what it is that he declared that is a mystery that closes out at the blowing of the seventh trumpet. And I'm not going to tell you what that is. You got to tune in (laughs) to the next class, the next episode of the Revelation Revolution. I am Dr. Dennis James Woods. This has been the Revelation Revolution. I've been on with you now. Oh, glory to God, an hour and a half. It's time for me to go. I charge you, ladies and gentlemen, please listen to me. I'm not seeking fame. I'm not seeking wealth. I'm not seeking money. Please share these podcast please do this please help me get these teachings out I'm not perfect I don't know everything I don't have perfect knowledge of the book of Revelation I couldn't write a commentary from the first verse to the last verse that God didn't call me to do that God gave me a specific charge to open the doors for the book of Revelation to people who had been traditionally blocked and blinded who could not see the relevance of the book of Revelation because they was always told it didn't apply to us the church was already gone that's poppycock People must know this is why the God gave the book and this is why he added a blessing to it for those who read it. Now, if you want people to be blessed, encourage them to read the book of Revelation. Encourage them to listen to these classes. Encourage them to tune in to the podcast. Please do that. Please do that. Pray and ask God. Say, God, should I help somebody? God, should I do what this man is saying? I never met Dennis Woods. I don't know him from Adam. It's somebody I've just been listening to on the podcast. But God, is this something that you want me to do? You ask the Lord. I'm not God. I ain't trying to get in his business like that. You have a relationship with God. You ask him. Share this podcast. Put it, go to the podcast, take the link, put it on your Facebook, share it with family members. Don't don't worry about them calling you a heretic because you don't believe pre-trib. No, if you don't believe it, you don't believe it. Just tell them pre-trib is a theory, just like all of them are theories. None of this, a lot of this stuff has not happened yet. So don't there's stuff that don't none of us know. Besides, the Bible just showed us. God left some out anyway. So don't nobody have a complete revelation because he let us know. Part of it he told John not to write. This is a revelation revolution. This is Dr. Dennis James Woods. We'll see you next time. In Jesus name. Father bless your people and keep them. In Jesus name. Amen.